Stevenson to the outside. They score! From the left wing circle, Jack Eichel makes it 2-0 Vegas. Because one hour isn't enough, we welcome you back for hour number two of the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Carlson for Stone in front. He scores! Five two nights. Mark Stone, two goals, one assist, three points. From the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studios and live at lbsportsnetwork.com with your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Just a little bit of personal business to take care of. Uh, Johnny, I'm working right now. I can't go out drinking with you. Happy Cinco de Mayo, uh, everybody. Uh, Johnny's texting me right now because we're talking about uh, celebrating Cinco de Mayo 2023. It's the VGK Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Darren Millard, Chris Chapman, Ryan Wallace in the Fox Sports Las Vegas studio. You are going to hear from Bruce Cassidy in just a little bit, his media session ahead of Game 2 tomorrow at the Strip. It's a 4 o'clock start. It works out perfectly because there's only one game tonight, one game tomorrow. It's a weird schedule in the National Hockey League playoffs. Some of this is because of NBA uh, complications. Uh, the Kentucky Derby is on this weekend. Uh, you got the Formula One in Miami. There's a there's a lot happening in and around the sports world. So they've had to juggle some things uh, around uh, for the National Hockey League. So it's uh, a sign of what we're going to have to get used to in the next round. Just one game a night, and uh, that's uh, happening. Carolina against the New Jersey Devils game two this evening, and then the stage is all Vegas and Edmonton's uh, tomorrow with the hockey world watching. Uh, it is the marquee series of the second round, is it not? Yeah, 100%. Hands down, it, it is the one that I think everybody wants to watch, everybody wants to tune in for because you've got two fantastic game uh, teams and two of the best players in the world. And I still think that people are just now getting their head around how much Vegas can score mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, compared to the explosiveness and the dynamic nature of the Edmonton Oilers. That's everything. It is not defense against offense. It is depth versus the superstars, but both are lighting it up with the ability to score. Vegas is now 4.8 goals per mm -hmm, game mm -hmm. uh, over the course of the five straight wins that they've put up. Yeah, I, I think that that's going to be the big key to all of this because as as we kind of talked about over the last couple of days, certainly going into this series, that there was a real admission and understanding that the Edmonton Oilers are there going to get their goals. And for the Golden Knights to win this series, they're going to have to put goals on the board every single night. And, you know, the fact of the matter is this is a Golden Knights team that regardless of the fact that they did not have a 30-goal score can still score a lot of goals in a, in a lot of different ways, and you saw that uh, in game number one. You want to be better in execution in certain areas. One, the penalty kill mm -hmm. for Vegas versus Edmonton. But from what you saw, because I, I thought defending the penalty kill was pretty good uh, after that first one-timer by Leon Dreisaitl. I thought, thought you saw some pretty good progress there. Uh, is there any area that you think Vegas has to be better in in their approach to game number two? I think... I, mean, I don't. I, I liked a lot of what they did at, at five on five. I thought they were carrying the majority of play. I, they won a lot of battles. I thought they were good along the walls. 
there's really not a lot that that I would change from the Golden Knights game. I, I think that you know maybe you touched on the one thing that you you want to be as as dialed in as you possibly can on the penalty kill throughout the entirety of game number two. Uh, but I saw some real progress but there in was, that, and, that area, and, and there was and progress. the tactical part where where Stone drifts off with with Drysaddle, I, I thought was brilliant in being able to. You got your one of your best defensive guys to be able to read plays with a long stick, uh, be put in that position was was outstanding. It there was progress there. I just I think that what you're looking for in terms of execution is just zeros on the board there, right? Like uh, even though the Golden Knights defended, okay, fine. <laughs> One one for three instead yeah, of two yeah, for three. Like that's yeah. that's what I'm looking for, right? Like you want to cross the, the the finish line when it comes to killing off the the penalties. Like that's what I'm looking for. I, I I think that as as you pointed out, were there aspects of the penalty kill that that we liked? Yeah, absolutely. Did they defend it well? About as well as you possibly can, while still allowing two goals on three power play opportunities. That's how good the Edmonton Oilers are. I get it, but if you can shave that down to just one goal a game. Then I think the Golden Knights are in really good shape. What do you think uh, of the officiating in the sense of did you like that tact or would you like it called tighter? Because there was cat calls hmm. when Edmonton got away with something. There was certainly from the Oilers fans uh, in attendance the other night. And there was a <laughs> sizable uh, group uh, that were not happy with some of the uh, actions uh, of the Vegas Golden Knights. It could be called tighter. Mm-hmm. It could always be called looser. I thought it was probably as as good as I I didn't mind I didn't mind the officiating I, I really didn't I I wasn't super stoked about some of the uh, some of the extracurriculars and, and some of the extra cross check to the to the back of Mark Stone. But all that being said, I I didn't necessarily mind the the way the game was officiated. Um, and I think for the Golden Knights, it's it's really important to figure out what that standard is and then play to that standard because I thought Vegas, for the most part all night, was was pretty disciplined. Now, those extra cross-checks, that's life. I, no, I get right? it. Like I get that, it. I understand and, it. And Mark knows that. The Vegas coaching staff knows that. Everybody was aware that that was going to happen when he returned. Yep. It was a concern about how much there would be, and it was uh, a factor into watching when he was going to be ready, Mm -hmm. knowing that people were going to target that area. And as much as we hate lower body, upper body, Mm -hmm. when you see the approach and, on my side, the acceptance of it, that it's part of playoff life, you really do understand why coaches and teams are vague when it comes to certain injuries. Yeah. Like it, it it just it fuels what we see happen on the ice with the stone situation just fuels being as vague as possible. You know, it you're you're absolutely right. But the the one thing that I will say when it comes to the the game plan, the the gamesmanship, the understanding that you're trying to try to to, to push Mark Stone off of his game. I don't think that you're going to by doing that because when when Stone started to eat a couple of extra shots, that's when he really started to turn it on. He obviously sets up Chandler Stevens and he gets his goal. Uh, the more you target Mark Stone, it seems like in these playoffs, the better he plays. Well, I don't know whether you're trying to frustrate him. 
again under his skin. You're trying to you're trying to, to, trying to test the, you're trying yeah. to test the body. Sure. And see it. how it's going to I think react it, I think it, in, in that side. I think in that moment it, it makes him mad and he goes out there and he beats you where it hurts the most on the scoreboard. I have heard some working of the officials publicly mm-hmm. because Edmonton got one less power play opportunity than the Golden Knights did. They weren't happy about that. And I know that there's conversations with series supervisor and uh, with the National Hockey League and hockey operations uh, throughout a series. Let's see where it goes tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And if it's in a similar balance, I think you'll hear a lot more of it going into game three in, in Edmonton. Now, the the looser the officiating, and this goes against anybody that wants to protect Mark Stone's back or mm-hmm. any type of injury, the looser the officiating is far better for Vegas. Yeah, 100%. Like, you, you, you put the whistles away, far better for Vegas not putting that, that power play on the ice. You're not going to stop the crowd from erupting if mm-hmm. somebody gets taken down, and you don't uh, don't get a call for for your team. But this is uh, the, the the standard is as pivotal to this series, game to game, mm-hmm. and period to period, being consistent as any of the uh, of the other three remaining sets. That's one hundred percent true, and I think for Golden Knights fans is frustrating as it might be in the moment when you see something let something that you feel should be a penalty called let go just recognize that as long as it's consistent then yeah. it, it favors the golden knights being able to check a little bit tighter being able to be in front of and 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 you know on top of the edmonton oilers without the necessary fear of taking a penalty or a ticky tack call so i i think you're you're right on the money if it's a let them play type of series, it is advantage Vegas. Every time that the crowd erupted after a non-call, which is kind of funny, and just in the actual wording of that, um, there's just not you didn't whistle a penalty. It's not a missed call mm-hmm. or anything like that. You just decided not to, to to call a penalty. Every time it happened, I would think to myself, "Okay, there's 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 one back. There's a freebie." Mm-hmm. So. Hope hope that it continues on that regard. Uh, Evander Kane, very quiet. Yep. And and I talked to uh, some people on the Edmonton side before mm-hmm. before uh, after our show the other night and before the game, and they were fully. They brought it up to me. They were fully expecting it to be a major story in the game from Evander's point of view in going out and making things happen. Uh, John thought he was okay. John mm-hmm. Shannon, uh, mm-hmm. who's become basically a co-host of this show uh, during the course of the Stanley Cup playoffs, thought he thought Evander was okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't think he was nearly as present as, as I expected. That is one area where I fully anticipate seeing a much different approach in Game Two from from Game One. He was not what we. Uh, have been used to when it comes to Evander Kane. No, I told you going into the uh, into the series that uh, the the guy that was going to draw the most ire would be Leon Draisaitl. And after game number one, I, I'd be correct in that. Evander Kane really didn't do very much. Now but that that, that, that see, being that, said, where 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 Evander Kane helps, where it didn't happen, <clears throat> like he drags people in 
to, to the fight. And they were, they were not – one of the big criticisms of their mm-hmm. game was they were not as involved. And I, I think that Kane performance to the Oilers' performance is, is pretty parallel. It, no, it is. And, and I'm expecting that within the first three to five minutes yeah. tomorrow, we're going to recognize that Evander Kane's in that game. I agree with that. Uh, let's get to Bruce Cassidy. Uh, met the media today at uh, Sydney National Arena, uh, talking about uh, a few different things. But first and foremost, uh, got on the subject of handling the twists and turns of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Ben Goetz, Las Vegas Review Journal. Uh, Bruce, I think you've gotten the first goal in only two of the six games, but obviously you're five and one. What have you liked about this team's resiliency in the playoffs so far? Well, that's it. I mean, we're a veteran group. We'd like to think one goal um, anywhere in the game. Shouldn't be a backbreaker. Shouldn't affect your next shift. We, we preach about that all the time. Even when we score, you know, focus on the next shift. You make a mistake, focus on the next shift. You make a good play, focus on the next shift. It, um, it's worked well for us all year. I think it shows that the people that have followed us that it's not always perfect and quite often imperfect, but we find a way to get back to our game. You hear that term a lot, but I believe in it with us. I think our players do. Um, and I think that's, again, our depth as well, right? You can use different players to, to get you back on track. And um, so uh, probably has a lot to do with it. Danny Webster, Las Vegas Sun. You've talked about how you wanted the fourth line to be a little bit more of a puck possession line rather than a checking line. Who's that, sorry? What? The fourth line. Okay. Um, and then I think it was game one. It was two, two or three different times they kept the puck in the offensive zone, allowed to get a change for Jack's line. Is that is that kind of more of what you're looking for and how they dictate? Well, they, that could be the result of it. We've talked about that a lot. Uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of lines that are good puck possessions line that don't necessarily score, right? They don't have the top end finishers. And it's hard to put them all in one line. It's just hard to score in this league. But if they can wear the other team down, leave it in a good place for the next line over the boards, um, that's a win for us. Uh, now the other team's changing, getting it out. Maybe we've got fresh legs that are more attack-oriented. and um, That happened a couple times. I mean, if you look at Stevenson's goal, we got him in the middle of a change. You, ha- you hem them in, and that's part of the game we're talking about. Now it looks like a rush chance, but in the, at the end of the day, it usually starts with good ozone pressure and um, put them on their heels a little bit. So we had both. The f- Barbashev's goal was good forecheck, good play by Naber. Uh, get it behind him. Nick Waugh gets in there. Um, create some havoc and you know our second guy's on time so yes that's a big part of their responsibility they know that um manage it well don't throw hope plays or blind passes um and they're good at it like when will carrier finds his game again he missed some time he's excellent at it nick was always been good at it. and coley for a big man is good at it so play to your strengths <clears throat> What's up, Ant? You don't want to answer a question? Fire out a question? No? <laughs> Good. Here's Donna Spencer from Canadian Press. You've had an interesting year in goaltending, to say the least. What made you decide to land on Laurent as your postseason starter? Well, health, for one. Uh, a couple of the other guys weren't available to us. It came down to uh, Quickie and, and Laurent. Laurent was just a little bit ahead of him at the end of the year. And we didn't know who would be, to be honest with you. We were comfortable with Jonathan. He played well for us. Now, Hill's worked his way back into the rotation, but hasn't played for a while. So, Laurent's done everything we've asked of him. So, we're not going to go away from him until that changes. Um, If we have to balance the workload because of maybe not being used to this situation, then we'll we'll have that conversation. But 
right now, you know, when you finish your series in five, it allows your goalie to rest. You get a couple of days between game one and two. There's some rest time, so it's worked out in our favor in that regard. He's a well-conditioned guy, so as um, long as he keeps helping us win games, giving us a chance, then he's our guy. Um, good for him. Like, I think Laurent got half a game in the playoffs when he was in Edmonton, but um, I think what's interesting in this series is both goalies are really getting their first playoff experience of their career. And what sort of has Laurent traveled an arc or is in this these playoffs, or do you see that this is a continuation of what he was doing at the end of the regular season? Yeah, I mean, he got points in every game except for one, I believe, and that was game one against Winnipeg. So he's given us a chance. And, you know, it helps that we're scoring for him, but, you know, he's won lower scoring games as well. Um, he's just risen to the occasion. It might be the year, right? Like, you look at some of the goal, like, Guy in Jersey, I, I mean, I'm not sure what his history is. He's, he's carried them into the second round, and now you got Skinner, you got Brassois. It's might be that year, right, where Grubauer's recaptured his game. I mean, Ottinger's a name, but you know some of the top names, Vasilevsky's, the Shosturkins, uh, Allmark had a great year. They're not around, so just be that year where so maybe a lesser-known guy is going to carry his team. We hope it is. Um, it's, like I said, it's been real good for us. But we're kind of in our shop. We're sort of looking at. Um, there's been some interesting coaching celebrations, goal celebrations this year behind the bench. So I'm just wondering your philosophy on celebrating a goal behind the bench. Do you give her or do you try and act like you've been there before? Well, is it is it overtime or not? You know, I mean, <laughs> no. Kind of depends on the moment. Maybe who scored it. Or some guys that you know on your team have struggled or you know need one or deserve one. Otherwise, I don't know. Uh, I'll have to look at that if, if I remember when I'm watching the games after. Toronto sort of the center of the. Well, he probably he should have done it in the overtime game six, right? Because it's been a while for Toronto, so I would. Yeah. I would. Uh, I wouldn't say give him a pass, but I'd allow him to do whatever he wants. They they've paid their dues in Toronto. That organization's so good for them. What about you? You'd like to. I don't think I do much to be honest with you. Um, I'd like to. You know what? If we win the series. The end. Let's let's have a look because that'd be a nice accomplishment for our team. Donna Spencer from the Canadian Press, which is the Canadian version of the Associated Press in the United States, uh, asking those questions. Uh, a longtime sports reporter in Canada, uh, coaches in celebrating goals. Uh, there's certain guys that do react just so emotionally behind the bench uh, to a victory or a, a goal. Uh, Joel Quenville. Uh, when he was with the Chicago Blackhawks, nobody enjoyed a victory mm -hmm. and just he would run down the hallway after a game uh, was over. He was so ecstatic uh, uh, about things. Uh, Dean Evison, uh, we know the emotion that he, that he displays uh, on. He won't even watch, by the way, when Minnesota's in a shootout, he doesn't watch the other team. Hmm. He just listens to the crowd. And goes off that, whether it's uh, the <laughs> home or away, he just he just goes off uh, of that and, and reacts to it. Um, Overtime's different if, mm -hmm. if a coach is, is celebrating. I kind of like it when the when the bench erupts and, and just goes, like, over the top mm -hmm. uh, and, and it's not the Stanley Cup final. I, I enjoy that part of it. I enjoyed Sheldon Keefe's um, celebration because it, he, like, fell off of that little back support bench that he's mm -hmm. got going on there. So 
Uh, there was obviously the the jubilation, and then there was, you know, in my estimation, concern that he was okay, didn't turn an ankle or anything. But you know what? When it takes 19 years to to get out of the first round, you should celebrate that goal and celebrate it as hard as you can because you never know if you'll go on to win the second round. Like 2004. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Like, sure. like the kids, the marriage, the cars, the jobs, the, everything that that we've all been through mm-hmm. in, in those 19 years. It's it's wild that uh, that a team like that, an organization like that, uh, it took so long. We'll get into some other happenings around the National Hockey League and one-timers in just a little bit. Uh, but in the middle of that press conference, you heard a pause in the audio. Yeah. What's happening there is they have a microphone, and uh, and they're passing it around. And it had to go from one side of the room over to Donna Spencer. And Songi, uh, uh, one of our graduate assistants, uh, handed the... And she can't get all the way over, so she handed the microphone to my row. And it was, there was this moment. I got, I got to tell you this, this situation that we got in. I brought a friend of mine into the press conference room today. Mm-hmm. He happens to be a family member of one of the Vegas Golden Knight assistant coaches mm-hmm. who I've become friends with, uh, Anthony uh, Donskoff. Great guy. He, he has a, a podcast, the High Performance Hockey Podcast, former coach, former player. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he's amazing. He, Misha, Misha Donskoff's brother. But I said, come in and, uh, and listen to Bruce. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll, it'll be, it's, it's cool. It's always great. He gives you so much. We talked about that with, with uh, Gene Principe. And he's like, are you sure? Will, will, will I get into trouble? I'm saying, no, you won't get into trouble, Anthony. I, I, I wouldn't do it if I was going to get you in trouble. I wouldn't do it because I would get into trouble. So, so come on in. So anyway, uh, so Anthony and I are sitting in a row, and Eugene's uh, beside me on the other side. And Songy brings the microphone to pass it over to Donna, but she gives it to Anthony. Mm-hmm. And I look with this shocked face. Like, <laughs> what are you doing, Anthony? Yeah, you can't ask a question. Like, he, he's not media. And Anthony grabs the microphone and looks at me like, Whoa. I'm not asking a question. What like, so we here? have this equal stare down of massive panic mm-hmm. that he's going to have to ask a question. And then Songy says, no, no, pass it along. So I hand it off and, and go. But like, my heart went from like perfect normal situation to, mm-hmm. you can't ask a question. This can't happen. And he, I can't imagine where he was going with it. So when, and, and Bruce knows uh, Anthony because of Misha, working mm-hmm. with Misha. Mm-hmm. So that's when he said, uh, Anthony, you're not going to ask a question. That was that, <laughs> that situation. But while everybody's laughing in the room, Anthony and I are having complete meltdowns yeah, uh, with, with, with uh, massive anxiety in that. Uh, did you hear what Bruce talked about? Not scoring the first goal and, and, Getting through that mm-hmm. situation, mm-hmm. they they scored the first goal in two of the six games. They're they've scored the first goal in two of their five straight victories. Mm-hmm. So two of six sounds a little bit uh, uh, misleading, but two of the five victories they've allowed the first goal. Yeah, the, this is a team that is is able to respond, and I, I think. You know, there were stretches, right, where in the regular season, the Golden Knights, when they scored first, they were automatic. When they did not score that first goal of the game, it didn't generally go well, but they've kind of worked through that. And and I think that, you know, certainly in a, in a playoff series, certainly a playoff game at home, um, it, it's not the end of the world if you fall behind one nothing early in a game. You, you don't have to try to get everything back all in one shift. And for the Golden Knights, the response uh, on, on Wednesday night – from Ivan Barbashev 45 seconds later. And then when Dreisaitl ties the game on the power play to start the third period, the response a minute later was fantastic too. 
It's just a mentally tough team. The penalty killers for the Vegas Golden Knights would have had that moment that Anthony and I experienced today. Mm -hmm. That would have been the entire intermission. Right. The second intermission of of game number one. Knowing that that penalty occurred uh, on Alex Petrangelo at the end of the period and that Vegas was going to be shorthanded for the first two minutes, pending a goal, Mm -hmm. to start the third. How do you relax and catch your breath in an intermission knowing that the penalty killers have to go out there and stare that thing down? And Stone was Stone was great, and um, uh, I thought uh, Vegas got better. But the problem is you, you need two units because Dreisaitl and McDavid stay out mm-hmm. the entire time. Yeah. So you've got two units that have to try to combine. You can't just have one hot. A uh, group of four players who are going to kill off these these penalties. Uh, you've got to be equally in sync with with both units. And it happened the other night. The first unit was really good on the first penalty, uh, and then the, the the second unit came on, and uh, at the second minute, uh, Edmonton was able to score. So that's an, a, another level of the the power play that Edmonton has because they stay out for the entire duration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it. That's what makes them so. Hard to defend over the course of the two minutes because if, if you have Drysaddle and McDavid and, and the ability that they have in di- in different situations to hold on to pucks and you know either wear you down and keep you on the ice or then they've got the the next unit that maybe gives them one little lane or one little look that they can exploit uh, they're able to do that and make those plays so it, it's again building blocks in terms of the penalty kill for the Golden Knights they did end up killing off a penalty like yeah. that that's something to keep an eye on too. The fact that they were able to go two minutes, they were able to go toe to toe, and the second goal that uh, that Edmonton scored was off a rebound yep. and, and a shovel. It, it was, it was a greasier goal. It, it wasn't was. like like what Edmonton, what you think of when it comes to the Oilers' power play. No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't one of those one timer um, Leon Drysaddle backdoor goals or, or Connor McDavid kind of circling off the wing and, and ripping one home. Like it was one of those goals where you have to get a little bit greasier. It was about ninety seconds into that power play as well. So again, more good work in terms of killing off some time. So I think for the Golden Knights, again, you you like what you saw in terms of their penalty kill, despite giving up two of two goals um, over three opportunities. And I think that there are building blocks there to edge that number down. And if you, again, if you can go, if you can get through with, with just one, allowing one power play goal a game, I think the Golden Knights are in good shape. What do you think of the game inside the game between the 2015 first and second draft choices? <laughs> I absolutely love the way the game ended. I loved that play, that moment, that that fantastic situation for Jack Eichel stripping Connor McDavid and then launching a shot about 180 feet into the empty net to ice the game. I thought that that was fantastic. I liked Jack's game quite a bit in game number one. There was a, a big hit that he did levy on Connor McDavid in the corner. I thought Jack was physical when he needed to be. I thought he was really good defensively. And um, I I love this series for Jack Eichel because I think when it's all said and done, it can be a, a series that really does define him in a different way. So here's the comparison between the two. Mm-hmm. McDavid had two points with two assists mm-hmm. and was plus one. Yep. Jack Eichel had one and one for two points and plus one. Mm-hmm. Time on ice, 24 minutes for Connor McDavid, including nine in the third period when they're chasing the game. Uh, 18 minutes for Jack Eichel. 
So six minutes less. Mm-hmm. Because then that's where the depth comes in. Uh, five shots for Jack and four shots for McDavid. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty good. Like that, uh, if the power plays, which we talked about being so important that Vegas has to score at least half the number of power play goals over the course of a series as, as, as Edmonton does, and then uh, dine out in their five-on-five, five, um, that would be a, a good saw-off. Having the the top two, so over their career, that's 14 games head-to-head. 14 games head-to-head, they've got the same number of points Mm -hmm. against each other when they square off. That's that's great for Jack. I'm curious to see where his confidence level goes throughout this uh, series if if he's able to match Connor McDavid like that. Yeah, I I think that's going to be the big the big key for Jack. And, you know, again, it's not so much necessarily the overall points. I think that they'll be there for Jack Eichel because, again, I think that the Edmonton Oilers will be a team that's not going to shut things down. You're going to get your goals when it comes to Edmonton. And I think Jack Eichel's, the, the way that he plays in transition, can really feast on that. But I still think that where where Jack's going to make the biggest impact is his ability to utilize his legs, utilize his stick defensively, help kill plays, and and play winning hockey, and, and you saw it on his goal, the empty netter to ice the game. Jack, if there's an area of his game that he will focus on, it'll be taking faceoffs, mm-hmm. getting better uh, in that. And there's been some good games, and then there's some games where he just uh, it comes up short against the opposition. He was 38% the other night. Mm-hmm. Connor McDavid was 33. Like Again, it's, it's, that's a plus in an area where Jack Eichel measured up to the to the great Connor McDavid. And if you're matching him points, and I, I'm with you. You maybe outwardly you're like, he can't go step for step with mm-hmm. him. But he has. Uh, people will, I think that's a surprising stat to people. Mm-hmm. In 14 games head-to-head, they've got the same number of points at 17. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think Jack's a heck of a hockey player. Yep. I really do. And and I think that y- you give him a big stage, and he's gotten a taste for it now. This is a great opportunity, and I think he relishes the opportunity to go head-to-head with Connor McDavid. This is the most Biggest opportunity for him. Huge. substantial series, substantial NHL hockey that Jack Eichel is going to play. And no matter what you want to talk about from 2015, who, who should have gone one to whatever – you have an opportunity right now, if you're Jack Eichel, to win this series and eliminate Connor McDavid. Uh, I was in the room. I hosted the draft lottery the year that Connor McDavid and Jack Eichel were selected. Mm-hmm. So I was in the room for that uh, ping pong ball falling around. And Connor McDavid was in the room too. We had the conversation and how dramatic that was. The same thing's going to happen on Monday with a big prize uh, available. We'll get into news and notes from around the National Hockey League with one-timers next on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Carlson left corner, centered, one-timer, score! It's time for one-timers. one-timers. A quick look at news and notes from around the National Hockey League. Brought to you by Paul Law. It's not about the injury, it's about the recovery. Didn't get to this yesterday because of uh, time constraints, uh, but the... James Norris Memorial Trophy finalists, mm-hmm. uh, otherwise known as the Norris Trophy, mm-hmm. uh, otherwise known as the best defenseman in the National Hockey League Trophy, Adam Fox of the New York Rangers, mm-hmm. former Norris Trophy winner, 
Eric Carlson of the San Jose Sharks, former Norris Trophy winner, mm-hmm. and Kale McCarr, the reigning Norris Trophy winner. Any idea? Any suggestion on who might win this? Okay, so I I think it'll be Eric Carlson. Yeah. Because he hit 100 points. Yeah, and it should be. Yeah. He'd do something extraordinary like that. <laughs> it's... Even if you're on a bad team. Yeah. And he was electric, and I love the that he's that he's back and he's healthy, and uh, that the game's going and continued to go in in that way. Uh, good on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tell you what, Fox is a player that if just people don't appreciate as mm-hmm. much. They've got so many stars on that team. Yeah, but he is so good. And saying they don't appreciate him, he's a Norris Trophy winner, so there's some uh, level of appreciation for him. But uh, I. He doesn't stand out on that lineup like an Eric Carlson does on that roster with San Jose. In terms of defensemen, I think that Adam Fox is still viewed as a, a rung below the likes of Kale McCarr. And shouldn't Victor be, Hedden, though. And he shouldn't be. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of what you're saying, right, is that he's right there with those guys. And, you know, the fact that he's he's among the, the three finalists, I think, is starting to give a, a bit of recognition there. Happening today, the finalists for the Coach of the Year Award, the mm-hmm. Jack Adams Trophy. Dave Haxtell of the Seattle Kraken. Yep. Jim Montgomery of the record-setting Boston Bruins. Mm-hmm. And out of New Jersey, Lindy Ruff. Yep. Yep. So I have a hard time with this one. Um, I think... Who don't you like? It's not... Oh, I don't, I don't dislike any. I think all three are absolutely worthy candidates here i i don't think that we value excellence the way that we should when it comes to the jack adams like if you're looking at the best team in hockey this year it in the regular season it was the boston bruins their coach in my estimation is the best coach in the league i think jim montgomery should win this one running away but it's really hard to to look at what Dave Haxtall was able to do with the Seattle Kraken in year number two and what Lindy Ruff was able to do through the fire Lindy chance to get the New Jersey Devils into the second round of the playoffs. So I think all three are worthy. Uh, I'd go Jim Montgomery, though, if I had a vote. Of those three, mm-hmm. did you think that it would be Jim Montgomery who would be watching <laughs> in the second round? Well, um, no. Yeah, like, I did. Considering not after I, that regular season. Considering I had Seattle and Florida and uh, and, and New Jersey going. Listen, Dave, Dave did a great job. I can't argue with any of the three for the second round. I cannot go against those three being finalists. Yeah, I can support others being in that mix, though. Mm-hmm. Bruce Cassidy. Yeah. You could make a real case that he should be a finalist. Yep. You could talk about what happened in, in Dallas and, and that turnaround. You could uh, suggest that uh, the Winnipeg Jets had an up-and-down year, but their coach did a good job getting a team that was in disarray a year mm-hmm. ago with a coach walking away and, and another coach fired. They He got that team in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Jay Woodcroft of the Edmonton Oilers. That was a consistent year by the Edmonton Oilers mm-hmm. to be able to get them in. Yeah. There's there's a, a, a few others that did a really nice job coaching this year that that I could could have saw getting into. But those three are pretty good. Yeah, I couldn't couldn't say it better myself. Not going to harp against them, but just supporting uh, others 
as as we go along. Uh, Sam Bennett of the Florida Panthers has been fined for cross-checking. And Matty Nice of the Toronto Maple Leafs, who uh, took the brunt of Bennett's wrath, concussion out for the mm-hmm. series from the sounds of it. At least games three and four. Sounds like he's out for the series. Let's wait and see. <laughs> Which what at the happens. moment could be the could be the series. So. Could be. I I think Toronto gets <laughs> they, back in. They it. have to, right? Would you not be? I wouldn't be shocked if Toronto won the series. No, no, not at all. Not at all. I, I think. The, the biggest wild card in all of this is Sergei Bobrovsky, right? Like, he's been playing ab- out of his mind the last couple of games. Can he keep it up? Sure. Could it go the other way and all of a sudden Toronto kind of finds their their offensive touch and they're able to put three, four, five on the board? Yeah, absolutely. So we'll see how it goes. Do you see uh, Ilya Samsonov? <laughs> yep. He's the Toronto Maple Leaf goaltender. <laughs> so he's going head-to-head with Sergei Bobrovsky. Yep. Yeah, I don't know how good of friends they are. I don't know. I have no idea. Most Russian. But they asked him about uh, competing against Bobrovsky at the other end. Mm -hmm. And he gave a profanity, quick profanity uh, included response back. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't give a bleep at all. Good on him. Yeah. And Bobrovsky's been outstanding. They get, there was one bad goal I didn't like on Samsonov, and it ends up uh, basically costing the game. That wasn't on him, though. He he was great against Tampa, and he's been good here. Uh, this uh, this has been Sergei Bobrovsky turning back the clock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's why he's getting $10 million a year. You expect that type of goaltending, mm-hmm. and he has been right there. He was Florida had no business walking out of there with two wins. Nothing. And and he was he was just ripping and the other part that uh, that Florida did in that win, it wasn't on Matthew Kachuk's shoulders. Mm-mm. And you th- the, the first round, all their success was courtesy of Matthew Kachuk. Mm-hmm. They get a game without him. Mm-hmm. That's a bonus. Yeah, you you get contributions from from Sasha Barkov, who I I think still can kind of. Get what himself a rip to, that was. Yeah, get it, but get himself to another level. And he, you know, Sam Bennett's been an absolute nightmare to deal with as well. Um, I I think this Florida Panthers team is is really good and playing free. And you know, all of a sudden, like that that pressure is right back on the Toronto Maple Leafs. They go on Sunday, Kentucky Derby tomorrow. Yeah, are you gonna make a wager? No. No, you don't play the ponies at all. I don't like I don't. not even for big big races. I don't. I don't gamble at all. No. Like not at all. Like, like zero, zero. None of it. Yeah. Do you play Nevada tickets? No. They used to be like like rip open like three cherries or three bars. No. You don't play anything. No. Nothing. How about how about the lottery? Ever uh, bought a lottery ticket? Like once or twice, but okay. no. What about you, Chapman? You gonna make a bet in the Kentucky Derby? I I usually just pick a, a horse based on the name. Yeah, <laughs> you don't look at the odds. You just go name. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't mind I, that. I, it's fine. Like, have, it's a reason to watch. Well, I, I think I found my horse, Mandarin Hero, who is. is based out of Japan. Hmm. Uh, is it Forte? That uh... yeah, I think that's the one that's owned by the Florida Panthers yeah. owner, uh, Vinny Viola. Uh, starting starting fifteenth. Uh, oh, he got the he got the post on fifty on the outside. Yeah, but he's still four to one. Yeah, he was. Well, that's down from three to one. Yeah. So hmm. there's um, there's two fills. Why not two fills? That's the name. That's the name of the horse. Two, two fills. Two fills. Yes. Two we fills. Got... Two fills are better than one. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the way I look at it. Imagine. Yep. You, and and by the way, odds eight 
to one. Oh wow! Maybe maybe an omen there. <laughs> That's really good. Look yeah. at you tying it in. You're I having know. a great show today. Buddy. I, I'm trying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just an acknowledgement uh, on the passing of Peter Klima, mm. former National Hockey Leaguer, uh, scored one of the great goals in NHL history in a Stanley Cup final for the Edmonton Oilers. Was benched for basically three quarters of the game, mm. and they were in deep into multiple overtimes. And he came on and he scored between the legs on on Andy Moak in an Edmonton Boston series in a game that was delayed about half an hour because of a power outage uh, oh. that night at, at Boston Garden. But uh, Peter, uh, great Detroit Red Wing, uh, great Edmonton Oilers, played with a couple of other teams, had the, the old boxy Yofa helmet, was mm-hmm. recognizable, small <laughs> player in statue, but feisty. Uh, just, um, just an awesome character guy, uh, lived life, and, uh, and just uh, not, not 60 years old. Hmm. And 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 passed away, uh, so uh, sympathies to him and uh, his family and uh, and all his fans over the course of uh, the National Hockey League. Those are your one timers. News and notes from around the National Hockey League on this Friday. What month is it? Oh, I think you know. Come on, Mayo. There we are uh, on Fox Sports Las Vegas. <laughs> When the guy wouldn't stop talking, we had no choice but to give him his own segment. It's time for Catching Up with Chapman. Hello, Christopher. Hi, Darren. So, tomorrow is a very big day for the Golden Knights, but it's also a very big day for Bill Foley as Bournemouth hosts Chelsea tomorrow morning. We can can catch him. Yes. So, Bournemouth, I think they're safe. 39 points, they should be safe. Oh, yeah, we're good. They've won four out of their last five, too. But with a win tomorrow over Chelsea, they would actually move ahead of Chelsea. Mm -hmm. And they could potentially move into 11th place, which was something a few weeks ago didn't even seem like it was conceivable because they were in the relegation battle. Yep. But, you know, you win towards the end of the season, you escape that. And I think big things, big things coming up for those guys. Big, big game tomorrow for them. But... If you're a Bournemouth fan and I see a guy, they show him on the on the scoreboard every single game. He's got the uh, the Bournemouth scarf in full effect. I don't know who he is, but he's rocking it. He's not wearing his his Golden Knight scarf. He's got the Bournemouth scarf with his jersey. So, uh, hey, uh, you get over to the Arsenal. Yes, check it out. They've got this new T-shirt. Like it, it's got the uh, the hair and the glasses from the player of the game. Oh, I saw that. On the yes, front of it with Jack EGK, Eichel, uh, and it's really is a cool sweater. It it sort of looks like what somebody would look like if they were a uh, superstar in the seventies and eighties mm-hmm. in the entertainment <laughs> side. Yeah. Uh, but uh, sort of what what that would would look like. Yeah. But it's a really neat T shirt. Yeah, I so grabbed Eichel, one today. Eichel modeling it. It was it was awesome because Eichel came up with the player of the game uh, ah, sunglasses oh, and the, the Elvis wig, hair and, and the wig. I don't know where I don't know who that guy is, but uh, but the wig and the and the <laughs> Sunglasses with uh, that that look like it's on, on look, that T-shirt. Look, yeah, the, the looks, impersonator guy. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's the same as, uh, as as what that player of the game is. It's really <laughs> I, neat. I know it's what you're really saying. No, Thank great. you. Darren's it's, gonna Darren's gonna buy one for you. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I still want my Bournemouth scarf. Well, that's never gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, Nate, Darren. It's never gonna happen because of Darren. Tosi. Four o'clock tomorrow. Face off. Get down there. Enjoy the uh, Toshiba Plaza. All the happenings around there. And then head into the game and rock it. Game two, chance to take a 2 nothing lead. 